Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, ideas for future episodes, please contact us. You can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or you can tweet us, sfdiocese, use the hashtag ignition. Again, our Twitter handle is sfdiocese, use the, ha- use the hashtag ignition. Hi, Father. Hey. So, um, Good to see you again. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> we are recording this. Uh, uh, seriously? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm man. Gonna, gonna Cats out of the bag. In early September, along with the last episode and next week's episode too. Sorry. Pulling back the curtain, being transparent. Pay no attention to the man what's behind going the on, Telling the truth about how we do this. The truth will not set you free. High, high production show called Ignition. Um, but we're... Spending this, all our production budget on gelato. Is, oh, <laughs> Could have a new microphone. Gelato. We spent it on gelato. Uh, this is airing, though, um, the week of the Solemn Feast, Feast. of Feast. the Holy Cross. Um, I don't remember the date. September, September 14th. 14th. Thank you very much. Uh, Our Lady of the Sorrows is the 15th, my sister's birthday, but that is a whole other, God bless you. Thank That's you. a whole other story. Um, so, and, and this is going to be It's a whole other feast. It's a, no, <laughs> yes, it is. It's a whole it's other a topic. Memorial. Um, we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite two topics, the things you bring up at Thanksgiving dinner here in a couple months. Especially Relig- the people you don't know. Religion and politics. Yes. But of course, they never should meet. And so, therefore, thank you for listening to this episode of Edition. <laughs> We're going to talk about religion and what? politics in the same episode. Oh my goodness! Dun, dun, dun. Dun. What? I just put another like note on. What is? Did it do? Bing. <laughs> you know. We're going to talk about the subversive nature of the gospel. Yes. So the politically subversive nature of the gospel. That the gospel has something to say to the political realm. So just before we dive into this, this is not in our pre-prepped script. But to me, the reason I love this topic, Father, is because this is just one important way where we see that our faith as followers of Jesus Christ ought to impact Mm -hmm. every sphere of my existence. The whole. Every part of my life should be different because I am a Christian. Right, right. Everything should be impacted in this way. And... If we take Jesus seriously, which is not a bad idea, if we take Jesus seriously, then we have to uh, take seriously some of these aspects that there is an impact. And also, in a certain sense, we can't understand church history unless we understand this impact. Right. Uh, Because there are certain opponents to the gospel who, uh, in the original days of evangelization, spread of the gospel in the Mediterranean world, there were individuals who were very opposed uh, to the gospel for these political reasons that we're going to talk about, 
And I don't think it's that far stretched to think that there's some people today <laughs> well, it just, you know, who what, are opposed to the gospel for the same reason. One thing, and I don't, I've never, I've heard it said many times before. I, I don't know if it's literally true, but it makes sense. Um, the you know the, the Chinese government is still officially mm-hmm. atheistic, right. officially communistic, uh-huh. and officially opposed to Almost Christianity. Broke. That too. Um, but they saw what happened in Eastern Europe. Oh yeah, in the eighties. Oh, you know they saw that. <laughs> When when John Paul Saint John Paul II mm-hmm. um, prompted this awakening of the faith, encouraged his brothers and sisters in the faith first in Poland and then throughout Eastern Europe, and it led to the fall of of the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union, yeah, of 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 European communism, Eastern communism in uh, the late eighties and the Soviet Union in the early nineties. And it's hard to forget that. I mean, not that it wasn't that much, or even by in the early eighties, still thinking that the Cold War was oh. going to. To, to endure for, for decades. Right. I mean, this almost eternal struggle, so to speak, between um, democracy and communism. Right. Uh, and, and here, lo and behold, 1989, the, 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 the Berlin Wall falls. 1991, the Soviet Union collapses. Um, collapses. Yeah. The, um, yeah, so there's always a political nature to the reign of Christ the King. Yep. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus Christ promotes a democratic government. It also doesn't mean that he promotes a theocracy. No, but we'll get to those in a moment. Right. We need to talk just first about the subversive nature of the gospel itself. And what do we mean by subversive and how this is in the gospel message and the charismatic announcement itself? Yeah. So one of the things that just is fascinating to me is if you look historically at the, the you know, the, the, um, the word that we, the gospel, good news, right. um, was not that, that, that phrase, euangelion in Greek, evangelium in Latin, was not invented by Jesus and his followers. No. It predated them by actually several decades. Uh, so this is just a little bit of Roman history here for you. Um, Julius Caesar uh, was, was famously, thanks Shakespeare, was famously killed by um, his friends, literally stabbed in the back by Brutus. A tu brute. A tu brute. Um, so, so he was he was literally stabbed in the back, um, assassinated by some of the other, and interestingly, senators, other senators, because they were afraid that he was accumulating too much power, right? Um, so, and, and becoming an emperor, mm-hmm. which this is still the Roman Republic. Um, so, because of that, there's a Roman civil war that erupted, thirteen year long civil war. Uh, the heir to Julius, Octavian. Um, would eventually uh, triumph over Mark Antony, who they actually were fighting together initially, defeating the other guys in the Civil War. Then they were fighting against each other mm-hmm. for who would be the the, the king of the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and so the uh, he, he's victorious uh, in a naval battle, uh, and, and word gets back to Rome. Good news, Octavian has won, yep. and therefore peace and prosperity is going to. Uh, spread throughout the empire. He's he's going. He's not back in Rome yet. But when he comes, peace and prosperity is going to come. It's good news. It's evangelium. Yep. And from that time on, for the Roman emperors, um, use that that word that phrase, good news, evangelium, to speak about what they did. Jesus takes that term, a politically loaded term, and applies it to himself and his teachings. Right. Right. And, and and which is the beginning of this uh, uh, political subversion in that way right. is Jesus taking that term for himself. Oh, you thought you knew good news? Now I will show you good news. You ain't got nothing on this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so Jesus uses and then his followers, of course, likewise take up the term and apply it to Jesus himself and his teachings. 
Um, yeah. No, no, no. Okay. Um, one one example that you you had talked about before we went on the air, and that's where I, I, oh. was, I was I was about to I don't refer remember. to you. I, I I'm sanguine. Things are new to me. <laughs> so, um, in 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 uh, Philippians, in St. Paul's letter to the oh. Philippians in particular. Right. Well, just but I mean, this even just goes to like the basic announcement of Jesus. And we use this phrase all the time, but we forget about what that meant to the ancient world when you would say Jesus is Lord. And it's actually really interesting tying this on Islam as well, but we don't have time to go into that right now. But to say that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that was the earliest proclamation and like and which I was, you know, taking from Philippians two, the great uh, hymn of Jesus Christ, uh, Philippians two, verse eight, I think, and following. Um but it ends with this big carpet, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord. Right. Curios, yep. you know. Curios uh, was the Greek word for Lord, uh, which had tie-ins with divinity and God, but also had tie-ins with the idea of temporal earthly rule. Right. And so when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, and in, I believe it's First John, we hear that no one can say Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Um, we're saying not just that Jesus is king, you know, or either that Jesus is God, but that Jesus has earthly temporal authority and power. Right. Right. And so, so um, Christ is Lord. Uh, so in Greek, it's Christos Kurios. Christ is Lord. Christos Kurios. Because there was uh, a, a, another Greek saying, um, Kaiser Kurios. Oh, yeah. Yep. Kaiser Caesar yep. is Lord. Right. And so, and what's particularly interesting to me is that Paul writes this in, in his letter to the Philippians. Philippi huh. was among the most Roman of the, 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 the was was a colony where there were all sorts of Roman legion veterans, Roman army veterans. Right. Uh, so a very Roman city in in modern day Greece. It's like Texas. Huh? Well, Texas is kind of more about Texas than the U.S. of A. Probably, but <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. So what, what what U.S.A. town would this be like in that way? Philadelphia. Oh, Philippines, Philadelphia. Oh, I don't know. Okay, but yeah, but so I mean, yeah. So you have all these former. Uh, Roman military men who are on their military pension, probably <laughs> from the Senate to the people of Rome, uh, getting their paycheck each month, um, their salary and salt. Uh, but they, uh, yeah, right. And so, I mean, they would have been saying, uh, Kaiser, say, Kaiser Curios. uh, Curios so often, so much, so much in their blood. And then for them to be hearing, let alone voluntarily saying Christos Curios, yeah. I mean, whoa! Yep, literally politically subversive, right? I mean, but by by claiming by saying no, Kaiser uh, non curios, right? Christos curios, right? I mean, you're you're making a direct attack against the office of Caesar, right? Not a good way to stay alive. Not a good way to stay well fed. And what's interesting, you'd say, not a good way to get your get your message out, but the message got out. So, so there's this strong proclamation, even as a Roman a city as uh, Philippi, let alone the city of Rome itself later, right? Um, where the early Christians would proclaim Christos Curios. You know, in uh, our previous week, week on Ignition, we talked about the letter to the Romans. Right. And this, I think, it was also part of St. Paul's desire to go to Rome, is to go to the place of the false Curios yep. of uh, his day and proclaim the true Curios of the entire world, Jesus Christ. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so not just because there's good transportation in Roman roads. We talked about those things in the last episode of Nation about the Romans, but even because um, 
just to make this statement, if right. you will, that you know, Kaiser non curios, you know, Caesar is not Lord, Christos curios. Right, right. So, what? How does that to do with modern philosophy? That's a good question. I mean, like in, in our own day, in our own outlook at things, I think when we hear Jesus Christ is Lord, we live with this like divider within us. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of an analogy for this sort of divider. Um, but we live this with this divider that we have the spiritual realm and this earthly realm, and then never the two shall meet. Right. Yeah. 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 Which is not a Catholic thing. Nope. Again, right. the, 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 an integrated whole. Catholicos uh, Catholic means universal, the whole. Look according to the whole. Right. Uh, so, so our under our faith should impact everything that we do. It should pervade everything that we do and everything that we think. It should shape us in every way. Well, and even you know to think about the the spiritual world and the material world being separated. Right. How do you have sacraments then? Right. Because we're using material things to bring about, to affect the spiritual realities of salvation in the sacraments. It's interesting because um, what we're going to be talking about next week, we're also going to be talking about a false divide between um, the physical and the spiritual. So, I mean, uh, while you may not be aware of it all the time, you might see the ghosts of it, if you will, or the echoes of it or the aspects of it from time to time. But we do live in this world where we have this division between the spiritual and uh, the physical, if you want to use some technical uh, language, phenomenon and enumenon. Right, right. So that comes from Immanuel Kant, the uh, what, Kant, eight, Kant. Uh, the 18th century, I think, German philosopher yep. who, who said you can never know things as they really are. You can only know them by their appearance. Right, by their phenomenon. Right. Right, right. by their measurables, which is an idea that uh, is pervasive in our world today. Right, yep. You find it. And so. Find it everywhere. Um. So just with this idea then is that, so how do we live out this reality of saying Jesus Christ is Lord, and how do we break through this Kantian divide uh, between uh, the observable world and the spiritual world to live in the world as it is, with spiritual and material united in Jesus Christ? I think part of the, and why this is hard, I think, for us to think of, one reason this can be hard for us to think about is, um, you know, Christ is Lord, Christ is King, um, we're Americans, and king doesn't right. really mean that much right. to us. Have you ever heard of the Boston Tea Party, Doctor Bergwald? Exactly. We ain't got no king. Right, right. So, so the idea. I mean, I think it's easy in a way for us to sort of compartmentalize Jesus as king because king doesn't mean to uh, to us what it does. Certainly to to British or um, I've got a friend who's a Canadian, and and definitely the, the queen, the king, um, means something to him that it just doesn't mean to me. And that's even pretty minimal when you think about like uh, Canada or uh, Britain as far as like the day-to-day governance right. of the realm that the queen very has, has very little to do to very little to do with day-to-day governance. Exactly. So how do we think about that? You know, how Christ is Lord, Christ is King. What does that mean for us, particularly as Christians, as Catholics in the United States of America? You know, um, there's a couple ways I think we can go with this. Um, you know, uh, um, first of all, like when we're talking about this, we don't want to come off as this outright criticism. It'd be good to state, first of all, that patriotism is a virtue. So it'd be easy to hear this and hear us and maybe hear us in some way as, as critiquing, uh, our own country in some, uh, uh, 
dismiss us as if we had really no no care for the American right. experiment, as Pope Leo the Thirteenth called it. And and that was something that you know for a long time um, our fellow citizens were suspicious of, right. of us because of because I don't know. That was a sense that, because as Catholics, you know, we, we can't claim allegiance to the Pope, right. which was for a long time a, another a temporal, temporal power. power. Right, um, he still has temporal power. Right, rightly so. Yep. Uh, so, so well, who, who, where do you pledge your allegiance? Right, right. Are you a papist or are you an American? Exactly. Right. Yep. Um, so, I mean, the Church has always talked about patriotism as a virtue. Right, America. So, so patriotism. How would you? What is? What is patriotism? What America do you mean to be a patriot. America. America. Two syllables. Is, is that what patriotism is? Just, just like just red, white, right, and blue, baby. Just to live that up. No, it's not what patriotism no. is. No. No. Okay. So, what is it? Uh, I think it's to love. To love. To blave. To blave. <laughs> Specifically, to love the land, the people, and the ideals in the country in which we find ourselves. Right. Everybody is called to be a patriot. Right. Uh, every, well, I should say this, every Christian, yes. every Catholic is called to be a patriot of the land in which they're born. Right. 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 To love or the land to which they're, they're living in and brought. Um, to love the ideals, to embrace the ideals. Um, well, but not universally. Yeah. The good right. ideas. Right, so it's not a blind uh, following. That's what I'm saying. Like it's it's not this uh, America, you right. know, right? Uh, with screaming eagles in the background, right? And, Flyovers, right? Um, I <laughs> have you ever been like an actual like flyover with like military jets? Yeah. I mean, I suppose you live in Sioux Falls, so you get that like almost every day when they practice uh, the, the, that too. But yeah, yeah, I've been in more. Um, uh, yes. I was in uh, I was at Notre Dame football game a couple of years ago with some family, and they had the Blue Angels yep. like uh, group go overhead. And man, if they were like, I mean, it seemed like they were ten feet over the stadium, right? Right. And it was just so loud, and uh, like really like, oh wow, that was that was impressive. Right. It is impressive. Impressive uh, uh, demonstration, but uh, but that's not what patriotism is. Right. Right. We're mm-hmm. not patriotism is not to be a patriot is not to be a nationalist to say as 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 you yeah. it's not blind approval for everything that we do. But we are called to be patriotic, so we're not saying that we're not anti American either. No. And so what that patriotism gets expressed as is a desire for our country, our countrymen, our ideals to be conformed to the truth. Right. Right. Uh, to conform to moral truth, conform to uh, reality, conform to the uh, truth of uh, human life, the yep. truth of human dignity. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, so we we embrace to a certain degree, but not blindly, the country in which we live, the people, the land in which we live, the people with whom we live, and the ideals of those people. Um, so on the one hand, we're, we, we go, that's important to note, but there's, it's also important to note, uh, just to be clear here, going in a different direction, we're, that we're not theocrats either. Right. So not saying that we want the Pope to be in charge or that we want me. No. And actually, in, in the church's uh, uh, law uh, called canon law, uh, it's forbidden for clerics to hold political office. Right. 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 And so I would be in danger of... Uh, uh, at least probably an excommunication prep. I don't know about lete sententiae, but I'd be under some sort of uh, church punishment if I for sure. uh, accepted a public office. Right, right, right. 
So we don't. So the the Catholic Church is is very clear that we do not seek to enthrone Francis or Father Dickinson. Thank you, Church. I'm not so sure if that's a thank you. I mean, I I think it'd be I think it'd be a pretty good uh, pretty good leader. <laughs> pretty good supreme dictator. Supreme benevolent overlord. Yes. Please, that'd yes. be my title. Yes, there we go. So we're not. So we do Dickinson not. Dickinson, 2016. We. <laughs> We do not advocate uh, theocracy in any way. No. Um, so what are we talking about? Well, I think, you know, it's it's a harder thing to think about, uh, and which I think gives some credence to it, because if it was just an easy little snappy one-line answer, I'd be a little uh, suspect of it. Okay. Uh, but we're talking about stewardship. What? Stewardship. Money? Stewardship. What? The larger sense of stewardship. Okay, explain that. So stewardship is not just about uh, uh, paying money so that uh, Father will uh, leave you alone. Uh, <laughs> right? No, stewardship is about the whole idea that God has given you something, he's entrusted to you, and so it's your job uh, to make a good and proper use of it. So, so what is a steward, actually, backing up a bit more? Good. Steward, uh, steward is a servant. Of? Of a master. Okay. And who's been particularly entrusted usually with a house or some other responsibility that he's to exercise uh, that facility or that gift on behalf of the master until the master's return. Not in his own name, but in the name of the master. Right, right. So so if I'm the, I'm a steward of Pius XII Newman Center, and so my job is to steward the Newman Center or as the pastor of St. Paul's in white to steward St. Paul's on behalf of Bishop Swain, on behalf of our Lord. Okay, so so this broad sense of stewardship. Mm-hmm. So what's connect the dots there for me? For okay, so before we get to uh, the political realm and things like that, let's talk about uh, stewardship of your own talents. So uh, if you have the ability to be a, a really good wide receiver in football, okay, we've got a really good wide receiver at SDSU who comes to mass and comes and prays every day. Good kid, his hands. His hands are huge and strong. Yeah. I mean, like, he always shakes my hand. And I'm always, like, checking my fingers afterwards to make sure that some of them weren't crushed together to become one. Nice. Right? And so, like, it's like, oh, yeah, good good, good to see you there, man. Um, And so, so, so to be a steward is, to, and so he's, this young man's trying to make good use of those gifts and those talents that he's been given. You know, that he has speed, that he has the ability to jump, that he has the ability to catch, and he's using them. Uh, to the best of his ability. He's a steward of what's been given to him. Okay. Make sense? Yep. He knows, though, at the same time, that the, that it's not himself in that way who's done the good or is able to do the good, uh, but that it is gift. He didn't give himself those hands. No. No. Now, he works to make sure they're in good shape and build them up and all sorts right. of things like that, right. but they don't belong to him in a sense. He did not create them. Right. So then... Um, the way to connect this to political realm is that whenever uh, you're exercising any authority, all authority comes from God. St. Paul in his letter to the Romans talks about this. Yep. Right? Um, Romans chapter 9 or 10 or 11? 9, 10 or 11. <laughs> he does. He does. He, t- he talks about authority there. I believe you. Okay. Um, but so he talks about this, about this that, that all authority comes from God. And so it has to be exercised as a stewardship in his name, 
right? Okay. Yep. And so whatever authority you have, whether you are a parent, whether you're a mayor, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a police officer, whether you're a president, uh, whatever you are with some sort of public authority, uh, you will be held accountable for how you exercise that authority. I think it's important that, you, that your list was as broad as it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's We're not just talking about national politicians right. here. Right. We're talking about, is it, you be, I think the first thing you said was parent. Right. Uh, a, a small town mayor. Mm-hmm. We have all, so we, Teachers. I say we because I am a, a, I'm a parent. So we have been entrusted with authority over my, yeah. Um, We've been entrusted um, by God with this authority. Yeah. And and so you'll be held accountable on the day of your death, you know, uh, to our Lord at the time of judgment for how you exercised uh, that authority. You exercise it in a way that is uh, in concert with, in communion with, in harmony with the laws and teachings of God and understanding yourself as always looking back to Jesus Christ to hold you accountable uh, or do you exercise it as your own thing to do and to form and to shape in your own image and not in the image and likeness of God? I am the very model of a... Modern major general. I think so. <laughs> Pirates of Pizan? but So that sense of stewardship again. Right. Right. So the sense of stewardship, responsibility, the good use of things. You know, uh, uh, we were just quoting from the Pirates of Pizance. I think so. Yep. And I've never actually seen that uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. Sure. But I... Oh, no, wait. No, I haven't. Okay. I haven't seen it. I was thinking I'd seen it on a Simpsons episode, but actually that was the HMS Pinafore. <laughs> now I was just talking about that's a bad... A this bad, is where we need, again, somebody talking about the annotated Father Dickinson to uh, uh, cite his cultural references, because some of them I... Yeah. But anyways, uh, uh, but that's, I mean, that's part of like... I think a bad stewardship on my part that I've got a pretty good memory on things, but somehow I've got like Doctor Who episodes and the Simpsons and <laughs> Pink Floyd lyrics stuck in there. Yes. Purge. Purge. What does this have to do with politics? Well, again, going back to politics, do our politicians understand and those who aspire after political responsibility understand that they're living a stewardship of the authority of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the ultimate temporal authority on this earth. Mm. And so any political authority comes from him and is supposed to be exercised in his name and will be judged according to how it lived that stewardship. And then we, in our country, as voters, are right. called to, mm. as best as mm-hmm. we can, elect those who embody that understanding. Right, because you have a civic authority. You have a you have a governmental authority as a voter. Right. And, oh, yeah. And so you will be held accountable for uh, the use of your vote. Right. So in the judgment seats, God's going to be like, all right, so how did your votes aid the kingdom of God? Yeah, well, they're all crooks, so I didn't vote for any of them. So, yeah. Uh. No, Fail. no, that's not going to work. No, no, no. Scott still will say, "What did you do?" Right, exactly. And is, I'm not saying that sometimes uh, non-vote is, is legitimate. Blah blah right. blah. Um, but but we're called to be engaged in the process as faithful citizens. Right. And so you know, how am I seeking to encourage uh, those who aspire or whatever to be uh, living out a sense of stewardship in their political avocation and praying for them as well? Amen. Amen. And with that, we will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Um, again, you can email us with any questions you might have about uh, today's topic, ideas for future episodes, whatever it is, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or you can tweet to us, sfdiocese, use the hashtag ignition. Until next time, may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. Click on Media and then Audio Files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes Store. Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. on Lamb Catholic Radio at 91.3 FM in Hartford and 104.3 LPFM Juan Diego Catholic Radio in Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.